Good morning. We're going to read Psalm 13, which, if you've got a church Bible, is on page 541. Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation and I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. It's a um, short little psalm, but those words are full of... um, Good reflection and challenge for us. So let me, let me pray and then we'll uh, spend some time contemplating God's words together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you reveal yourself to us and prepare us uh, to consider how we live no matter what's thrown up before us. And so we do pray now that by your spirit, our hearts and minds will be uh, challenged and convicted to live Trusting in your salvation in Christ. Amen. Well, you could describe Christmas time as a time of comfort, as a time where you want to enjoy yourself. So what do you love about this time of year? That's not a rhetorical question. I want you to yell out. What do you love about this time of year? Not just Christmas, but January. What holidays? What happens in holidays? What do you like about holidays? Sleeping, absolutely. Yeah, what else? Summer encounter. Summer encounter, very good. There you go, uh, Becky, that worked well. Um, what else? What else is good in holidays? Nothing. <laughs> Food. <laughs> There's lots of things that we love in holiday time because it's a time to relax. It's a time when we're not in holidays, we look to and we long for. It's a time when we like to sit back in comfort. I like to sit back on the lounge with a drink watching any kind of sport. I like to sit back on the lounge with a drink watching any kind of movie. I like to sit back on the lounge <laughs> with a drink, watching any kind of, there's a theme, TV show. Like, just that idea of relaxing, and if I get up, it's usually to play with the kids or to play golf or do something else. That's it. That's relaxing. Maybe swim. It's easy. It's comfortable. But if you're, if you're here on Christmas Eve last week, as I said, when we, when we, um, go on holidays, we don't go on a holiday or have holidays with the plan not to enjoy ourselves or to be uncomfortable or to be sad or to be just disappointed and to be in pain and grief. We don't really go in that direction for holidays, right? But what we know about life is holidays are a a little kind of blip. Some of you have come back from holidays. Sorry, um, this is a real reality check for you. That, that holidays go and the reality of life comes and life can be hard. 
that comfort that we seem, the world seems to say, let's just get to comfort, let's just get to comfort, but we're often not comfortable. That it's often painful, it's often hard, it's often exhausting. David, King David's life, while there were times of comfort, was distinguished by times of great anguish, brought on by himself and brought on by others around him. And he had to face how to deal with it. And I reckon, as we, for me, maybe many of us, if um, your holidays aren't going pear-shaped and things are good and you're going to be relaxed or you are coming back feeling relaxed, it's in that moment, it's actually helpful to stop, pause and think, how do I respond to the hard times that are going to come in 2018? They could be really, really big, hard moments of extraordinary grief. Well, they could just be the daily painful grind. Whatever comes forward. How do we respond? I really like um, Martin Luther King Jr. once said, and I think this is an interesting little quote, he said, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where they stand at times of challenge and controversy. It's quite easy to be well-behaved and happy and, and respond well in times of comfort and holidays. But in those hard moments, how do you respond? Can we only tell the measure of someone when they're stretched, pushed and challenged in hardship? Well, I think as we see, as we look briefly through this little psalm, we see that King David wrote this psalm as he responds. And we're going to see that the way in which he responds to difficulties in his life shows how our understanding of a relationship with God can be shaped. And you can see there on the outline, it's just broken down simply into uh, three, uh, three uh, sections in two verses each. First of all, David expresses great anguish. And you've probably spent, uh, expressed anguish in your life sometime, right? Probably many times at different times of varying levels. Have a look at verses 1 to 2 with me. We know it's from David because it introduces it uh, for us that way. And then he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You see... David, just to give you that context and to remind you, he's kind of seen as God's people as the king of kings for them. He was, he was the one who was supposed to be maybe the Messiah that would come, the one that would give them hope. And his life, well, he faced a lot of hardship. His life wasn't full of comfort. He wasn't wrapped up in cotton wool. He had suffered quite considerably. In all manner of ways, as I said, because of his own wicked actions and what was being done to him. His life was, he lived like an animal in the wilderness sometimes. So the king before him that the people rose up, Saul, if we read uh, 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 back in the Old Testament in Samuel's, in the books of Samuel, we see Saul was trying to murder him out of jealousy. 
He must have suffered unbelievable mental and emotional anguish when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. Why did Nathan confront him? Because of his wickedness. He, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he uh, was responsible for killing her husband to try and get away with it. And then imagine how much grief he faced when he found out that his son would now die as a, a direct result of his inability to keep his eyes and his hands to himself. And later in his life, as he watched his family and his kingdom seemingly fall apart, brothers fighting brothers, incest within his own family, his own sons raising up against him, he kind of knew what it meant to suffer. And so in this psalm, which we don't really have context for where it is in that moment in, Saul, in Saul's life, I don't think um, that we can discern that particularly because it's not really given to us. We see David cries out, How long, O Lord? He's not doing it as maybe we are right now, feeling quite comfortable in January in Adelaide. But he's doing it from the experiences of hardship, of living in a fallen world. See what he says? How long will you forget me? Will your face be hidden from me as if God, I'm crying out, but there's nothing between you and I. How long is he going to have to live with his uncertainty, guilt and sorrow? He wants to know how long God is going to allow those who aren't those that follow God kind of triumph. David really wants, in these words I think, to be a fly on the wall to what God's actually going to do. He wants to be privy to the counsel and the will of God. Understand what God's plans are. Be involved in understanding what's going on and why things are looking so destructive and so ugly at the moment. It reminds me of a show... It was very much loved. It's been over for many years now, but it's kind of a show that I don't mind going back and watching the whole series over again. The West Wing. Did anyone get obsessed with The West Wing or is it just me? Yes, good work. Excellent. Yeah, The West Wing. If you don't know that show, The West Wing, it's, uh, there's been many shows since, but I don't think have uh, been able to uh, do it as, as well, of uh, getting inside the White House workings about the president and his staff and how they deal with everything that comes up with them. And it's great because you get to see what it's like in the Oval Office that they have these conversations about what's happening and things going on. And sure, it's made up and it's probably not exactly the way it is. But I particularly love when they go into the situation room. That's kind of the room where things are all falling apart. There's some big crisis in the world and only a few people get to go in there and find out about these conversations and have them. And it's like you're getting to hear those conversations and you're knowing all the details of what's going on. It's a privileged position to be in. And, and even his staff don't get to go in there, even his really close staff, only the president and those with the authority. David's crying out in these verses, like, oh, I want to be in that situation room. I want to be there knowing what decisions you're making about the mess that we're in. We're not just talking about a country on the other side of the world trying to destroy um, our troops, our American troops. We're talking about the world in a mess and God, you, my world's in a mess and I want to be in the situation and finding out what's going on. In our difficult times, do we not want to know what God is doing? 
where he's taking us and when it'll be over? How long, O Lord? See, the issue uh, behind the anguish we see in verse uh, 3 and 4. Have a look at 3 and 4 with me. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. In death, And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. David is in pain. He's hurting. Because God's en- enemies are closing in around him. And it seems as if God is ignoring this situation. That's what we're seeing in these verses. He calls out to God and we're seeing there these kind of three little statements that uh, they actually all kind of start with lest. It's kind of like they're all kind of lined up together. God, I need your help because I'm going to die lest I sleep in death. Verse 4, lest my enemies say I have overcome him. Verse 4, lest my enemies rejoice when I fall. You can see the issue behind his anguish. He's really worried that he's going to fall apart and he has a problem with that because he sees as God's king that God's reputation has for, is, is uh, being taken over as well. If God cannot save his chosen king, then what kind of God is he? I don't think this is a new idea for us really. We... we, we are constantly confronted with when Christians don't really stack up. Maybe you've seen that in, in yourself over, over time and we see in big falls from grace when leaders of the church make massive mistakes. And I'm not just talking about phony leaders who don't truly love the Lord, I'm talking about leaders who have but have in, in great mistake spectacularly fallen in public sin and the world loves to point out these massive failings we see it all the time and this seems like hypocrisy and double standards i have uh, uh someone close to me who said to me these exact words i can't be a christian because i see the christians around me as hypocrites and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Now that just may be an excuse for not encountering God, but there's something to that, isn't there? And David, well, could you be any more hypocritical and any more disastrous that at some point in his life, he fell badly? But in this time of of seeing God's enemies winning, he calls out to God and he's saying, I, I need an answer. Look on me and answer. He's asking for a personal relationship that he has uh, with God and he's wanting God to deal with the enemies that are closing in around me. He says, what does he say? Lord, answer me because my enemies will say, I have overcome him. They, they will rejoice when I fall. So we're talking about a king who is losing his throne. And when enemies triumph over God's chosen king, it would appear as if they have had some sort of triumph over God himself. 
So David's issue in this instance isn't just suffering in general, it's suffering brought about because he's one of God's people. So in hardship, um, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, thinking about it from the Christian perspective, how would you think about it? If you're a follower of Jesus, what are the options in difficult times? You can abandon God, that is an option. You can go, you know what? He doesn't answer me. He doesn't speak to me. I'm going to side with those who are persecuting and avoid the suffering. You can stick with God in a way, but you can be bitter, angry, because while he says he loves you, and if you come to Grove or any church that teaches the Bible, what you should hear is the love of God in Christ all the time, and they can just become hallmark card words that are just sentimental dribble instead of profoundly deep and meaningful because you're so bitter. The things that have happened in your life indicate otherwise and you just forget it or you can be from the outside looking in thinking see that's why i'd never i'd never consider god because where is he in this situation where is he in that situation then we have in psalm 13 david respond and he doesn't really take up those options we see the resolution in verses 5 and 6 And there's something kind of jarring about it and really challenging for us at the same time. Verse 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. See, David's cried out. He's in trouble But then the way he resolves the situation isn't to go, right, God's given me the answer, it's all sorted, I can move on. He goes back and he turns in another direction and he reflects on the God who he knows profoundly. And he says, I will trust in your unfailing love. He didn't get the answer. He doesn't say that he'll wait until God lets him into the situation room. Okay, now I'm in here. Let's run through the plan, God, in this specific specific situation. No. He trusts in the unfailing love of God. He doesn't say that he'll wait for God to deliver him from his enemies. The resolution that David comes to is that God's unfailing love is enough. That what he has done in the past, the kind of God that he is, means that he can truly trust in him. There's no reason to doubt salvation in whatever form it comes for David. Ponder that reaction for a moment. We can bypass and go, yeah, that's, that's great, that's good. But in times of extraordinary heartache where he's had clear questions for God and questions and seems to point to demanding an answer, he calls desperately to him, but in all his questioning and anguish that he is experiencing, the framework in which a follower of the Lord lives is unfailing, trusting God because, well, he perfectly loves us. With no answer sometimes. You see, 
this is a really helpful little psalm because it really helps us have resolution to our life and prepares us now in times of relaxation and comfort and this time of year for the times when it all does go pear-shaped. It gives us good insight into how to ready ourselves. But it's, it's not easy. It's not like this is, okay, yep, good, off we go. When we're in the midst of difficulty, it kind of feels near on impossible sometimes to be objective and to say God has his purposes. God has made us not just with brains but with emotions and feelings and it, it, we get swept up in the heartache of it all. And so in times when we, when we can be a little bit more level-headed in our comfort, we can actually convict ourselves and remind ourselves of what we know to be true, preparing ourselves for those hard times. Because in those times, if he's, we, we can start to think, well, if he's powerful enough to stop it and he doesn't, or if he, if he hasn't dealt with this terror attack, he hasn't dealt with this car crash that shouldn't have happened, these people killing that person, he hasn't dealt with the pain that's going on in my life, the, the dear loved one that is dying in my life, if he's not dealing with it, how can I, how can I truly live for him? It's hard. But really I think the fact of the matter is, in the Christian perspective, God does not answer to us. We answer to him. He gives us real hope. Christmas time is not just a nice moment of joy where a baby comes who is God and that is it. That is just the moment that sets a course of action that really does give us the hope and the conviction that he has unfailing love. It's because there's that moment in history that if we're convicted of being true, we never let go of. Where injustice and suffering occur, but not just to the world, but where God places all the injustice and suffering of the world on himself, on his son. Where this is the moment where we actually do get into the situation room. Where God does lay out the plan for us, where we get all the details of everything we need to know to go forward because we see Jesus die on a cross and not just leave it there as a moment in history but where he reveals to us what it means what it does why it actually shows us when we don't understand other things that we don't have answers for this is where we're convicted of his unfailing love the act of an innocent man jesus betrayed by his friends mocked condemned spat on tortured by his enemies and eventually put to death in the most inhumane and excruciating way is where we see God's purpose laid out. With no explanation, you can come up with all sorts of manner of reasons for what going, what's going on. God failing. That actually the enemies do win. Isn't that what Satan wanted after all? For Jesus to be killed? But we don't have to guess what's going on or how it plays out because here we see the love of God in Christ giving his life for us. Where actually, like David who was profoundly flawed, you and I are profoundly flawed. And without Jesus, we don't have a relationship with God. Where Jesus comes, deals with our hopelessness and gives us life in him. 
You see, David says, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. He's hoping for salvation in his moment in time. He trusts in his unfailing love, thinking about God's promises and maybe thinking of the exodus and those great moments in history. But he's way the other side of the cross. Where after Jesus has come, everything that was pointing to it, they could only hope for and long for in the promises, we can look back and see that God with us comes into the world, dies for us. Is there anything else needed from God to tell us that he cares? In his providence and sovereignty, things happen that we have no answer for. Are we people who rest in his unfailing love and with humility accept there are things we don't get answers for, as painful as they may be. God's explanation of this horrific event 2,000 odd years ago is that it was through this one act that God brought back a world that stood in defiance against him. See, the biggest issue isn't David's enemies on him, it's the world being enemies with a loving God who created How do we think about God in light of that? Maybe it's where we start heading into 2018, reminding ourselves that we can truly have hope because of Jesus. Maybe we can remind ourselves that there is a reason to love God and to trust in him. Maybe, verse 6, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me, is true. Not because you're having a good time on holidays, but because in the depths that you may face, he has dealt with everything for you. And that eternity and glory is around the corner. So, as we near our reflections today, near the end of our reflections, let me ask you, why is it that we doubt God's goodness and faithful to us? Well, it's pretty hard in times of difficulty, isn't it? If we're not convicted of what Jesus has done, if we're not convicted of the hope that we have in Christ, if we're not convicted that the promises that David clung to in this psalm, it's pretty, almost impossible, I reckon. And for those of us that do, sometimes we struggle because we forget or we're not willing to turn to that. It's the struggles that I I could find in my life at times. But maybe today we remind ourselves together that God has proven himself faithful and loving and powerful in the events of the cross. He has shown you that he loves you without reservation. He has shown you that he has the power to save you even from death. Now in Romans 8, we even have this promise that in every situation, God is working for the good of those who love him. We're not going to understand the purposes behind everything. David certainly didn't. He understood some things. He understood the consequences of his sin when he was confronted. But other times, the things that were coming on around him, he had no understanding why this was happening. We're not. But we can know that God is good, loving, and he's a saviour. 
And we don't do it blindfolded, falling backwards, hoping that God's there to catch us. We do it with our eyes open, looking to a cross where we should be that Jesus is. We do it with our eyes open, looking into a tomb where there is no body because Jesus has risen from the dead so we can be raised with him. And that's what sets God's people apart. We can trust in a God and we can have hope. We don't just persevere with no real reason. If you're wondering in your life where that is, maybe considering Jesus again and coming to the cross, if you haven't before, is what 2018 really should be for you. It would be the best year of your life. It would be the life that changed, the year that changes everything for you. A friend uh, uh, told me a story of a prayer meeting about dealing with suffering. I think it's helpful to see this is how we, this, this is a helpful way for us to think. We're in this prayer meeting, rightly everyone was coming together to pray for someone who was really unwell, with a terminal illness. And it was a long prayer meeting where they were praying in a largest group and all the prayers were constantly over God, uh, please uh, heal this person, restore them to health. Good prayers, right prayers even to do and it's good to pray for that. Many, many prayers for this. But then a lady at the end of hearing all these prayers going on for a long time just prayed very simply and shortly. Lord, we pray that she dies well. That is a prayer is saying, we don't know what's going to happen. Death seems to be what's in front. Regardless of that, we pray that she'll love you in every moment. Isn't that the prayer that we all should have if we follow Jesus? Let's uh, finish today by convicting ourselves of this God who we can turn to because he's done everything for us. He has given us his love, his grace, What we don't deserve, he has given to us and it is completely and utterly enough for us. We can say, I trust in your unfailing love because he has given us his grace. He has done it all for us. We can praise the Lord. He is good to us. And so we can come together now and we can stand and sing boldly, your grace is enough.